I'd like to chat maybe a little bit about the state of international schools in, in the world at the minute. And I've got a few like articles that um, I've dug out, a few statistics, and I'd love to kind of get your your opinion on it. Hey, Fair Future, is that? I think that's Melanie in the UK. Good to see you. Good to see you here. You can request the mic if you want to into on mute. This is just this is interactive. I'll keep an eye. So international schools have been growing. There's a, a lot of research being done into this. I've looked into some of it from the uh, ISC um, Research Center. They've actually shown it's it's pretty it's pretty wild when you look at what's what's actually what's actually happened. So at the minute, across the world, we've got 22 billion US dollars being spent in international schools. It is absolutely huge. That's over 5,000 schools and 2.2 million students um, worldwide. And a lot of these are in big school groups. I wonder if anyone on, on the calls in one of these big school groups, actually, I've got these top groups. Now, I used to work for a group called North Anglia Education. Um, and I thought, I thought they were the biggest, but I'm seeing on the statistic, there's some that are absolutely huge. So the top five, uh, a group called Maple Bear Global Schools, they've got over 360. There's Beacon House Group, over 140. Uh, Grupo SEB at 141. I think most of their schools are in Brazil, actually. We've got the City School at one over 130. And North Anglia Education in fifth place, currently from the data I've got, which is actually just from data of last year, um, at over 80 schools. So this is, like, huge. And I think what I wanted to kind of bring it up is to kind of get people's opinion in the room of what are you thinking about the rise of school groups? Like international schools used to be mainly independently owned, kind of private private ventures. Maybe they were open for expatriates in a certain country or open for promoting internationalism. But now they're increasingly being bought and acquired. Someone told me actually that maybe 25% uh, are now owned by big groups, big profit-making groups at that. I wonder what people's thoughts are maybe in the room. Has anyone got any any thoughts um, on how they feel? Hey, mate, I, I, I'm a, I, I teach high school uh, basketball, PE, um, health. Um, I don't really have too – I don't have too much to deal with international schools. Yeah. In saying that, I have a couple of friends that work in the city – and they actually work online. Um, they don't have to go into the actual school. Like most of their teaching is done online. Um, his is a private school as well. Um, in Australia, most of our schools are split up into two categories, public and private. And most of the mm -hmm. private schools are either Christian or Christian-based. Um, so I think it, it's, it's, run as a, it's run as a business. Um, yeah, every student that comes in, they get an X amount of funding. So um, generally it comes down to dollar and cents. So, um, And where is yeah, that? Where is that, James? I'm based in the west coast of Australia. Right. Uh, and this is like a private school yeah. that's mainly for um, Australians? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like we don't really have any um, – oh, we might have, you know, a handful of kids that are – 
you know, English as a second language or um, those kind of things, but not really an international school at all. Um, we have a relationship with Japan. We go every second year to Japan. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I've only got two friends that work for an international school and they love it. They get paid more than me and they do less work. So um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a part of the the – well, in Australia, if you're international, you need to have big bucks. Like if you come to Australia and you want to go to university or you want to go to a, a good high school, um, you better want to have some cash because, yeah, they make you pay up front and it's not cheap. So, wow. um, yeah, that's kind of the, the system, I guess. But, yeah. That's really interesting. I don't know much about, uh, you know, what happens over there in, in Australia. And I don't know if there's like even a – is there – I don't think there's a big international school as such market there either, right? Like, is, is that right? Yeah, no, we, we do have a couple of big um, international schools. Yeah. Um, we have a, I don't know if it's an international school, but we have like a, a really big Islamic school. Um, yeah. Like a huge, it's huge. Um, and yeah, that's one of them's in the city. And um, <laughs> my daughter's waving at you because she thinks she can hear someone. <laughs> um, I'm waving back. Cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, um, it's, it's it all comes down to money at the end of the day. Like, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's if these businesses are running at a profit, then these big firms and venture capitalists they're, they're going to buy them. You know, yeah, so that's right. Um, and I reckon a, a lot of these big a, groups are owned by by massive pension funds, big venture capital. Mm, um, I know. Yeah, like my old, my old man works for a retirement. Or sits on the board of retirement. Um, I, one of the biggest retirement like uh, villages uh, in in WA, and um, they just got bought out by a big mob. And yeah, they're just any any form of very safe but steadily growing um, industries. Yeah, <laughs> she keeps waving. At um, they're just gonna um, yeah, they're just gonna keep growing. You know, so yeah. Um, it's just one of those things, man. It's like it's it's a business first and education second. Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't, yeah, if you can't pay your teachers and you can't pay your staff and you can't pay the admin fee and the the gardeners and then yeah, um, it, like our government bails everyone out. So like it's there's no privatization. Like even the private schools, um, they're they're reliant nowadays on um you know, uh, putting up their prices with inflation, whereas once upon a time the Catholic Church owned so much land and they were so wealthy. But um, I think it's all been pretty much pegged back to 11 playing fields now. Mm. Um, obviously, they've got the reputation and the history, but, um, yeah, that's kind of how, how our systems work between public and private. That's so good. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I know, like, there's kind of different levels of growth in 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 private schools and international schools around the world i've got like a bit of data here i know there's been over the last five years i think the some of the biggest um enrollment the leading sub-region apparently is middle east I don't know if anyone on the calls there and also southeast asia's had a 23 percent increase in student enrollments for international schools in the last five years um Perhaps um, Freya, English teacher abroad. I, I see you. Uh, you've been brave enough to request a mic. You, are you there? Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. 
Yeah, I can hear perfect. Hey. Hi. So I guess I work for a very small group, but a growing group. And I, I, I kind of understand the financial kind of background to the kind of formation of groups. But I also think as a teacher, it's a really useful thing to be part of a group. I think um, there's a lot of opportunities for networking um, amongst the kind of groups of schools. Um, and, and we have a kind of centralized kind of group of people who look after all of the international schools. So there's some level of consistency, I guess, which is nice in terms of that oversight. But then the opportunities to network with different schools across the world within your kind of group is a really nice feature, I think, as long as um, there's some kind of recognition of different contexts, because obviously different countries um you know, you need to take the context into account as well. But I think it's nice to feel part of a group. Yeah, I feel that. I guess I, I, I'm like almost in two minds about it because I was part of a huge group. So I, and I always felt very good about that connections and really took a lot of value from um, learning from a group. But then I guess I've always, I, I kind of a little bit cautious, like I, maybe it's what you're saying as well, like about that kind of, standardizing like there's there's this risk of standardization um yeah i definitely agree with that you see that i mean you see that a lot in the uk don't you the standardized kind of schemes of work and lessons and stuff like that and i think that's where it becomes a little bit dangerous because you're not really considering the individual contacts um mm. but i think if you you kind of have some level of consistency in terms of values um etc 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 and then you're allowed that autonomy as a member within that group that's quite a nice position to be in yeah totally thanks thanks for that and keep keep chipping in as well i'll leave it leave your leave your microphone now i see a uh, fair futures is it is it melanie melanie are you on the call yes it's melanie can you hear me Hey, Melanie. Hi. So good to hear from you. Me and Melanie have worked, worked together for quite a few years on quite a lot of projects. Melanie does amazing, amazing work on bilingualism and inclusion in the UK and internationally. Yeah, and that's why I, I wanted to join this group, really. I don't work in an international school, but as Shane says, um, I do work with um, a large international um, school group on CPD for schools across the world. So it's really interesting for me to hear everyone's perspective on um, different international schools. And I think what you've just been saying about there are advantages to having a group or a chain of, of schools in that you've got a group, you can learn from other people, there are opportunities for um, development and moving around the world if that's what you want to do. Um, but there are also issues around how standardised you want it to be how much do schools have autonomy of doing their own thing in their own school? But also, I guess, how can you develop things in a way which you think is is helpful to to those schools as a whole group? Um, and I find that really interesting. I'm always fascinated to hear about how different schools work um, and how the ideas that we have in our organisation. Um, I, I do that work as NASI, not as Bare Futures, but I'm... I'm on the wrong Twitter thing, so I just joined with the one that was open. Um, so it, it's always it's always really interesting to hear about how different schools work and how different groups of schools work to see how well will the um, professional learning that we that we do um, 
how will that will that work for different schools? Yeah, totally. And you work for, you've also run like a master's program, right, Melanie? So probably work with yeah in different contexts. That's right, actually. And we do um, as nasty we do language literacy and learning, which is um, a course that we do for anyone who who wants to do it in, in a, international schools, and it's a kind of trend trainer course. So I work with a lot of schools there and I do the bilingualism and education course at the University of Birmingham, which unfortunately is, is just finishing. Um, but yeah, people all over the world on that one as well. So it's I just find it amazing how schools work in very different ways, even in the same countries, and how they um, adapt and, and respond to different constraints. And I saw you um, on Twitter as well, Shane, that you were talking about... Um, about rules in China and about the kind of materials that are allowed to be used and how and other things around how different schools respond to things like that. And it's just kind of thinking, how can schools work best in their own situation? And how does maybe being, being a group of schools, how does that help or, or hinder? Yeah, totally. It's funny, like you mentioned China, because I think there's a lot of confusion. I, that's where I am, by the way, everyone. I'm based in Shanghai in China. Um, I think Jeffrey is also... Jeffrey's also on the space. If you wanna, if you wanna request a mic, Jeffrey, because Jeffrey's a, a lawyer. I know he works with um, international school groups in China as well. But we we were talking a little bit, um, a little bit about the, the market here and how how things really need to be personalised. Um, but here, I know there's been a lot of discussion on whether British schools or British international schools are a viable option. But I think people are seeing it as almost like there's there's like a pure style British school that wants to open. But I don't think we're, if you're here, you realize I don't think such a school exists. They've all been kind of adapted, um, adapted anyway. And many of them, I think that are they're owned by school groups. But the ones that deal with the local students, they're not necessarily the schools themselves aren't necessarily owned by that big school group. They, they've got like an affiliation or like they use. They use some of their services um, as well. Just welcoming a few people into into the room as well. We've got oh Darren, great to great to welcome you here, Stelios. Uh, we've got Deles, um, Mumbai Jessica or Mumbai Jessica. Sorry if I got that wrong. Dara, Kiara, and Grissom. Please feel free to um, to request the microphone. When you press request, it won't. Automatically, hey, checks. Is that you? Hey, mate, I've I've just got to run. I got a business business call here that I've been waiting. For, nice one. Um, for a little bit. Thanks so much. My couple of my friends have couple of my friends have jumped. No, Dallas has gone, come and gone. Fernando's in here. <laughs> um, they're all good fellas usually. Um, I'll be back though. Um, depending on how long you go for. Um, I have no idea what you're talking about with the international <laughs> schools and groups and stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'll uh, I'll come back and listen awesome. um, in a little bit, but um, enjoy and um, yeah, mate. If you ever need need a hand with um, scheduling some some more spaces, and yeah, don't bother. Don't worry about if it's not as good as you think it is the first time, man. Just schedule again next week and and do it again, man. So don't don't worry about that too much. Just yeah, schedule again next week and go again. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Have a have a good one. All right, mate, catch up. And it, to just to kind of recap for people who are just joining, so this is the first space I'm hosting. It's this X Spaces. I don't know if many of you have been on them before. I'm very new to them, so I'm I'm literally just having a go. Um, so 
the idea of this is 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 not just a it's not a podcast as such, but a live place where we can all discuss and and chat about um, ideas uh, together. So please um, feel free to just uh, click the unmute your uh, the request the request microphone, and that'll just give you permission to unmute your microphone anytime. So same Freya, Melanie, if you just want if you ever just want to chip in, just unmute and say hey and um, chip in I don't have to raise your hand or anything like that I've got a few a few things a few things up here that I thought would be good good to go through but it's interesting just to reflect on those some of those trends trends together another thing I thought that was quite interesting in terms of uh, something to watch out for in international schools this year is to do with teacher recruitment and retention so I think there's been, I mean, there's crisis across the world. Um, I think in the UK and the US, there's like particular, particular crisis with it being able to train enough teachers, but once they're trained to actually keep them in the profession. I think there's, there's quite a worry when I was in the summer, uh, in the UK this summer, I came across um, a lot of concerns about this. And I see the, even the World Bank have been talking about this as well. Um, there's an inadequate supply of high-quality teachers. They they found four things across the world last year. One of them was inadequate supply, um, and that's across the world, not just like not just um, in international schools in the UK, but also like in sub-Saharan Africa. The percentage of trained teachers has fallen um, from 84 percent in 2000 to 69 percent in 2019. And globally, they say there's particular shortages for teachers who teach science, technology, engineering, and math. There's the, the biggest shortfall. But I also know international schools have struggled. Like where I am in China, there's, there's massive challenges uh, for recruitment due to probably to COVID, but also policy changes. I wonder if any of you have got any, any reflections in your settings on how how things are going in terms of recruitment and retention of teachers, and if there are any strategies um, your school teams or leaders are, are employing in your schools to to help drive recruitment of great teachers. I've got a few a few ideas as well. One thing that um, that I've got here is that is that there's been um, a big rise in qualifications that are actually aimed at international schools so when I I don't know about you but when I first started in international education which was actually in 2012 it was very difficult to get into international education unless you had been trained um, in your host country and you got your teaching qualification there but increasingly there's more and more opening up so there's you know for many of you who are familiar with the UK context there's the PGCI postgraduate certificate in education international that people can do and that's been open for a while but one of the issues with that is it hasn't come with qualified teacher status so many schools have still not accepted it but I now I now know that there's many universities that have started to do IQTS qualified teacher I I don't know if anyone on the call's got any experience with IQTS I'm not I'm not so familiar with it but I do know that um, there's um, Places like Warwick University, they've started with um, IQTS to actually enable teachers to be trained abroad 
and to earn their qualified teacher status while they're in an international schools. And I think this is a huge, a huge game changer because it allows international schools to be a desirable place um, for teachers to do their initial training, but also to um, to actually, once they've got qualified, to get their qualified teacher status by doing their experience abroad, something that wasn't open before. I think that's um, I think that's a really um, great move. Although it'll be interesting to see whether in the UK um, whether they accept that qualified teacher status going back um, going back to the UK. I don't know. Hi, um, hi Shane. I just hey, wanted Freya. to we um we actually at my old school um trained uh, offered a, a placement for teachers in the UK to come over to us and uh spend a short period of time with us and uh, it was it was a really really fantastic opportunity for them actually to have a placement abroad. I mean like you that wasn't open to me when I was training and I just feel like it's such a fantastic opportunity for these teachers to come in and see a completely different context internationally. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it for many obvious reasons, I'm certain. Um, But I think it's such a brilliant thing that needs to be catalyzed on and grown. I think there is a problem with the QTS in that I'm not sure how transferable it is um, Mm. with the UK, but I definitely think that there's a market and a sector there that we should tap into. Yeah, I, I I so agree with that, Mr. Ryan. Did you have something you wanted to come in on that about as well? Uh yeah. Sorry, I think I just caught a bit of the conversation. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering on. So I've been recruiting for a school in Malaysia for the last couple of years. I think our numbers for applications probably have been going down a little bit, especially from UK teachers. Um, I think my school is quite a desirable job, good location part of Malaysia I think it's quite an attractive um job I would have thought mm. um, but yeah applications are fairly low lower than usual um again reasons for this I'm not totally sure um we do have the same problem in terms of the PGCE the IPGCE not coming with QTS um I do think it is quite important though to have that QTS I know when I'm looking for um, candidates, um, people who have done a IGCSE, especially people who have done them over um, COVID times, they've got quite a task on their hand to sort of show that classroom experience and yeah. that they have their hands-on experience. So I think it naturally does put them at a disadvantage. Um, and actually, I think in Malaysia, they do struggle to actually get a visa as a result of that. Um, but I'm not totally sure on that amount slightly wrong do you have experience of that iqts or is it a, 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 do you have anyone who's done the international version of it we have got a couple of teachers who have done the ipgce not the iqts though not yet yeah. um, that would certainly be something interesting to look into to see how um how that could be used because we've had some really interesting teachers and people who have really clearly got good experience and great ideas, but they haven't got that QTS and it's meant that they can't either get a visa or for whatever rules. And it's been a real shame. So if that's something to tap into. It'd be quite interesting to learn about. Yeah, totally. I, I, I just think it's, it's so incredibly um, 
complex for schools at the minute because the you know if if they're struggling to recruit and retain back in back in the UK say then you know and the international schools are trying to take from that market as well that just makes it so challenging so I, I agree like with Freya and and with Ryan like getting extra paths for qualified teacher status is really important I don't know at one point I kind of thought that the crisis that was happening for recruitment and retention in the UK and the US would help international schools because we could kind of nab all the best teachers because people were complaining about working conditions. I don't know. I just haven't seen that. I I, I think um, talking about that with retaining teachers, I think that's definitely helped. Um, certainly helped for me when I started a two-year contract. I probably just thought, yeah, I'll go, go abroad for two years. Um, and then you see things so much better when you're abroad so much more straightforward and you know we all know the many reasons why teaching abroad abroad is great um and then we do tend to have once we have teachers they do tend to stick around for sort of four or five years and i think that um shambles and teaching in the uk probably does help towards that a little bit as well yeah 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 absolutely just for that just that ryan i wonder um uh stelios you're are you down in Foshan in China, right? I don't know how things are going there. If you wanted to, if you wanted to add something, you're welcome to, welcome to, um, to unmute your mic if that that interests you. But I guess one of the thing that I I thought that would be um, interesting to talk about today, which some of you might have um, opinions on, and I think like if I was to look at a few big trends, it would be. A that enrollment growth that I think is kind of kind of linked. Um, B that teacher recruitment and retention issue. Um, and and three, I was thinking about um, generative AI. But um, um, Stelios, I've just uh, allowed your microphone. So before I went on to that, I didn't know if you wanted to chime in there. No worries. Feel free to interrupt at any time but I, I i guess the third thing that i wanted to talk about was a little bit about the generative ai and i'd really love to hear what you're thinking about this so the international schools it's been interesting to kind of track their response to generative AI, which is like um chat gpt um and i think there's been a lot of talk about this i know the international baccalaureate organization they were pretty proactive in integrating it into their approach, although I d- I've heard a few statements from them. But when I was I was in Hong Kong a few weeks ago at a conference there, when I was speaking to teachers, I, I sensed a lot of frustration actually in the air. A lot of people were saying, "Yeah, they released a statement and very boldly said at, at a very early, you can, you know, we don't ban the use of AI in our schools, but then practical tools have not necessarily been uh, been um, been given." Um, in in enough speed by the IB, I've got like um, their official their official stance on it here. I'm just kind of reading through it. So it it, it seems that they've got some ideas for the future. So they say students in the future with the IB may be asked to evaluate AI produced essays and refine the prompts to get closer to what they want. Um, They'll need more expertise in identifying and addressing uh, bias. And all work produced by AI is learned from 
human authors. So they want students to be able to understand the bias and blind spots and then continue to learn and think around problems and be creative rather than seeking simple answers. But I don't know. I don't know. To me, this just still seems a little bit woolly. I wonder, is there, are there any IB schools on the call? Um, I don't know how you're, how you're feeling, if any of your staff have been talking about the use of IB or any schools in general talking about um, the use of AI or ChatGPT in schools. I'd be interested to hear whether you're having a, a good time or a challenging time of it at the minute. I know I, um, I interviewed on the podcast or a little while ago. I've done a few, a few episodes actually on, on artificial intelligence. So if you haven't listened, go back to um, there's two episodes that I into uh, Dan Fitzpatrick, who's like known online as the AI educator. You can find him on X and LinkedIn as well. Um, he talked a lot about that we're we're a little bit um, in the early stage of AI. So at the minute, we're just kind of finding our feet and using it to save time or to kind of enhance what we do in some way, like to, to make things easier. But he says in the future, we need to totally flip our thinking. He actually has big ideas of what schools would be and thinks they'll they'll really totally flip. And I think there's this has already started in the UK. I don't know if, Melanie, if you saw, like I saw the news in the UK of a school that's been open that's now fully um, hybrid. So they do like half half online, half in person. And I think there's ideas to use AI tools there. Um, yeah, I saw that on the news, but I didn't um I didn't see the detail of it. I saw it flash up as a headline, but I didn't I didn't get to find out what the school was or how it worked or why it decided to do that at all. So it's something to look into a bit more. But um yeah, on AI, I'm I'm not your person to contribute on that. Yeah. It's well, yeah, well done for doing that. But I've been practicing on this on this app all day and I can't I can't quite figure it out. Ryan, did you want to come in there? Sorry, uh, no, sorry, I've got so if you turn to me, sorry, I've got no AI knowledge, so I'll stay out of this one. Shane, I was thinking about this in the in the sense that obviously yeah. there's there's obvious problems, isn't there, with regard to plagiarism, and we've already had those conversations around sort of detectors to determine whether you know pupils are. are wholly relying on AI but I was also when you were talking thinking about the podcast you did with um is it the assistant head teacher at Bangkok Patana is it Patana yes yeah Yeah. Patana school Cindy sorry (laughs) pronunciation there and I think you know what really struck me when she was talking about um oh maybe it wasn't that podcast maybe it was a different podcast but it was about libraries um Mm. and I our use of critical research in libraries and how we use libraries now so much for reading for pleasure when actually we need to kind of flip that a bit into creating students who are critical readers, critical thinkers. And I, and so I think there is a place for mm-hmm. it, but we have to think very carefully about how we're supporting our pupils to use it as a tool for research and uh, critique and all of that kind of stuff, rather than as a tool for producing something. I mean, I think for teachers, it's a brilliant resource. Um, And it's really good, you know, when you're doing your lesson planning, there's loads of ways in which you can use it. But I think we we shouldn't um, necessarily dismiss it because it's there. But I think it's about how we sort of help our pupils to use it in a in a proactive way 
um, rather than relying on it to write them stuff. Yeah, you're you're so right. It's um, it's funny because I think it's kind of opened up a bit of a a, a wedge again in education. I, I've been speaking a little bit about this online in terms of like you know the the old arguments between you know should we be teaching knowledge should we be teaching skills and can you can you even teach skills it's kind of opened opened that again almost with thinking about critical thinking because everyone knows now critical thinking is huge but then there's this whole argument i saw it really blow up the other week um on can you actually teach critical thinking um or you know as as isolated or you know do you have to teach knowledge before you can teach students to think think critically but it, it it raises massive questions because ai is just part of the landscape now and it's just a huge skill um that students need it's funny I, one of the episodes on global ed leaders was also with jack george who is from eglon college in switzerland they're actually they've got this idea of school 3.0 and they're trying to kind of get ahead get ahead of the game and really flip flip the narrative um their idea is that that in the future most knowledge is going to be able to be automated by ai and taught taught by ai and actually the job of the school is going to be to develop the human human aspects and then that of course raises questions on what 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 is it that makes us human and what is a school's place in developing our humanity i think these are huge questions and i can't help but be on the side of feeling that education as we know it is fundamentally going to shift it's going to be one of the biggest shifts we see i mean i, I know other people think um that's maybe not going to be the case but I, I wouldn't compare this to the advent of the internet i think it's much bigger than that hey dan this is... yeah hi hey welcome to the chat how are you doing <clears throat> thanks yeah i'm well how are you yeah good thanks good uh, yeah i mean i've got a, cu <clears throat> a couple of points you've made are really interesting i was going to kind of piggyback off of a few things and say you know ai at this moment in time everyone i think i'm probably more on the i don't think it's going to change much in the, in the short term mm. um i think the reason being is that you know the advent of calendars uh, calendars calculators everyone thought well do we need to learn our times tables we still do um you know in terms of ib stuff we've always had the issue of ghostwriters right you know we've always had to check that students are doing their own work in various ways and and chat gpt doesn't necessarily change that it just changes where it is written by and so um for us in school the the main thing has been uh just to be making sure that we know it is the students work and we do that via kind of traditional methods of checking uh with vivas we we make sure that you know we have uh examples of students written work so we know what their kind of writing style is so and that that was always thus right you know that hasn't changed because of chat gpt yeah. it might make it slightly more necessary but that hasn't necessarily changed it and i think in reference to your knowledge versus skills debate i'm probably uh <clears throat> firmly on the you can't teach uh, critical thinking without some knowledge side but uh, i think what chat gpt especially has shown right is that when you're asking for model answers and, and we've been playing about with this bit of uh, diploma level um with the students you know doing it with them modeling it to them and you kind of see how because it's a, a language predictor right it's a language model it's just predicting what what the most common or the most sensical thing would be to say after after what you've prompted um you see that there's kind of elements of truth there but it also kind of gets itself in a muddle and and you need to have the knowledge mm. to be able to sense check it and, and teachers are very good at that right so freya said 
it's an awesome tool for teachers. And I agree, you know, when you're talking about setting questions or, or <clears throat> redrafting emails, because you know what you want it to be in there and you can kind of sense check it against your knowledge base. I think for students where they struggle is they put a prompt in, they get an answer, but they have no idea whether this answer is correct or not. All they know is it seems like it could be a reasonable answer. And I think that will change that, you know, AI will get better and it might not be a language model. It might be something else, but AI will get better. Um, but at the moment, I think it's really difficult to utilize it um, unless we have that knowledge. And so it's a good it's a good to play about with prompts and, and it's great to kind of challenge us to give us something to critique. I, I think that's fantastic. And we, and we certainly use that in school at the moment. But I don't think, you know, you just said that whoever it was you were talking about, you know, we're going to revolutionize all knowledge will be automated. That's kind of already the case, right? With You know, knowledge is out there. The question is, is is the knowledge that you get from a textbook yeah. any more or is it better or worse than what you get from ChatGPT? The answer is it's, it's as good and as bad in different ways. Uh, I don't think that's changed. It's just quicker. Um, so those would be my thoughts. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Dan. And did you say you, you work at DP level? Uh, I mean, our school, our school, we do, um, we're a British school. We have only do the IB diploma, yeah, and, and the career-related program, to be fair. Um, but we don't do uh, NYP. Yeah. How how are they how are they doing at high school level? Is it like is it free to teach us out like on how the, how this will work? Or do, do uh, they have do they but, clarity? Because I just sense a lot of confusion from the IB. You mean themselves, yeah. or in terms of and how, um, yeah, how it's been interpreted? I, I, I suppose when it first came out, there was a big fanfare, right? And I think everyone was slightly worried. But when you drill down to it. Um, Oh dear, is that my feedback? That sounds awful. Um, when you drill down to it, uh, nothing's changed for us. We still have to check the students' work. I think we, we've started using it more for teachers than, than anything else. And actually, I think it's given teachers a lot of comfort uh, to be able to kind of reduce workload and kind of speed things up. Um, but I don't think the IB issue is, is an issue for us because we've always had to do it. I, I just think it was a, a bit of concern right at the beginning and then everything calmed down. So um, Genuinely, it uh, hasn't really affected us much other than tracking changes in documents a bit more, checking in with students a bit more often to make sure we know that they're writing it, um, and then checking against exemplars. The only thing we have really changed is making kind of students write essays more in class by hand. Um, mm. One, because it's good practice, but two, because it gives us that template to see if their work is their work, and, and that's, that's basically it, really. So nothing's really changed for us. That's brilliant. That's, thanks for that, Dan. That's, that's great insight. No I think it's. I think I'm causing that feedback issue. Um, okay, good. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's because I've got like Dan. I've got my phone and my laptop up here. I've had these silly tech issues. I, I you know, Elon Musk and uh, this X. It's not quite working as a. Uh, yeah, as it's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, this is this is this is a great space. I wonder if anyone before we kind of um, finish up today, if anyone else has any thoughts on any of those three things we've kind of three areas we've discussed today whether that be ai teacher recruitment retention and qualifications or or the growth of international schools across the world awesome well what i'll do is i'll I'll leave it there for today it's been such a pleasure to to chat with you all today so this was a total global ed leaders experiment you you guys have probably been on i don't know how many of these spaces you've been on but this is very new to me um, but I've just found this this conversation really fascinating, and I think it's really valuable to get the perspective from the community. So I'd love to get your ideas afterwards. If you could just send a a comment on the tweet as to how how you found this, and whether you think this kind of 
conversation space would be useful for the future for us as international schools and international educators. And on that note, if we if we kind of go ahead again, which I hope we do, I'd love to get some of you uh, involved as in co-hosting it in kind of thinking about how we can how we can bring this community to life because I think it, the idea that we can get people together on a semi-regular basis live together, not just on Twitter X as a text chat, but actually to just kind of thrash out concepts in a bit of a safe space. I think that would be that'd be super cool. So a bit of a shout out from me. If you're not already following the podcast, um, do have a look. You can look on my profile. Um, you can find it or you can search on any of your podcast apps it's called Global Ed Leaders. And that's all about international school leadership. So it's hopefully right down your alley. But um, yeah, if we um, don't speak before, I'll hopefully see you next time on the podcast or next time here when we speak again. Thanks. Thanks ever so much. Thanks uh, for those who, who chimed in as well. Um, and Melanie Freya, I really appreciate that. Uh, studying as well.